0: So just before I invite Matt up to give our talk, I'm just going to give our Bible reading uh, for today, which is from Paul's letter to the Romans, starting at chapter 12, um, verse 1 to 3, and then 9 to 21. It will appear on the screen, but you can also follow it along if you'd like to. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment, in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another with mutual affection. Honour one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervour serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you'll heap burning coals on their heads. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I'm going to invite Matt up now.
1: Brilliant. Well, good evening, everyone. It's great to see you this evening. Uh, my name is Matt, if we've not met before. And that was it. great, having those little testimonies. Thank you so much, guys, for sharing. Um, I've been at the weekend away. I'm going to say a bit more about that in a second, but... Um, I'm not a student either, but I just, I skate crashed. It was brilliant. Um, Yeah, I've been on all of them so far, actually, which is amazing. I'm going to stick with that annual tradition. Um, So yeah, tonight we're continuing our series. Good evening if you're watching online as well. It's great to have you uh, with us. Uh, We're continuing our series tonight uh, on uh, holiness, what it is to be distinct. And we've called it distinct because sometimes that word holiness makes us think, whoa, that's a bit too much, it's a bit too heavy. And uh, we are thinking about what it is to be distinct People in the world, and we're reclaiming holiness for our world today. And we spent this this term. We're gonna. This is week three. Uh, we're unpacking what it means uh, to be distinct people of God. And um, tonight, I'm going to be speaking about distinct relationships. And uh, I um, two weeks ago, Toby kicked off this series and talked about uh, where throughout the Old Testament, God says to His people, "Be holy, for I am holy." be holy as I am holy, he says. And instead of this word holiness and this idea of being distinct as being something sort of heavy or intense or life sapping we want this series to be something that uh, is life-giving and freeing and uh, giving us life in all its fullness. And Toby used this uh, analogy in week one where he talked about holiness. Instead of being like antibiotics, which is something that you're like this is disgusting and it's, it's vile. And I don't really want to take it. Instead of thinking of holiness like antibiotics, you know it's good for you, but you just hate the idea of taking them. Uh, think of holiness like cowpole. Now, um, Toby was talking about giving cowpole to his son and maybe having a little swig every now and again himself. But um, <laughs> I don't know if you've tried cowpole, it's that sort of sweet tasting, Moorish type of medicine. When you taste it, you're like, wow, cowpole. Yes, I want more of that. Not in, not, don't take too much cowpole. But um, it's this sense of um, having that sweetness of life, that sweetness of goodness in you. And um, as well as that, Toby also um, mentioned a a bit of a throwback to the WWJD bracelets. Do you remember those things? Well, I've got a story about this. This week, I went home to my parents' house, and uh, I said to my parents, do you remember when we had those WWJD bracelets? My mum said, yeah, I know. I've got them all in a drawer. So (laughs) I said to my mum, please, can I? Please, can I have my WWJD bracelet back? So, uh, if, you, if you have no idea what this is, this was a thing in the 90s, noughties, to, no, yeah, yeah, you guys. Uh, what was, uh, some, some years ago, these bracelets were um, WWJD, what would Jesus do? It was a reminder to us to think about what Jesus would do in every situation you find yourself in. So, thanks, Mum, for that. And um, uh, it doesn't fit me anymore. I think it's like a child size. So, I just tried it on. So, I'm going to put it in my pocket. Anyway. This idea of holiness being sweet tasting, if you've been on the student weekend away this weekend, you've had that sweet tasting of the presence of God, of the transformation of the Holy Spirit in your life. And uh, I feel like that, that theme of sweetness God is speaking to me about at the moment, uh, because I think uh, if you're aware of what's going on around the world as well, in America, there is a, a revival happening in a place called Asbury, uh, which in, in Kentucky. And the way in which this has happened is they had a a chapel service that they do every week on Wednesday night. They had a a chapel service on Wednesday night. They just met to worship and read the Bible and teach and pray together. And um, someone stood up and uh, gave a a testimony and confessed some sin publicly. And suddenly there was an outpouring of the sweetness and the goodness of God. And this um, chapel service, instead of finishing at whatever time it was supposed to finish at, has kept going. I think it's still going right now. And people have come, and there's this sense of the reverence of God, the awe, the awe of uh, meeting Him in worship. There's this sense of being freed from uh, things that are trapping us and sins that have enslaved us, and this sense of freedom and forgiveness and outpouring of joy. And I've read many, many reports and seen interviews of people. You can check it out on YouTube and all sorts of things. And, and um, it's being led by Gen Z. It's been led by Gen Z. So it's been led if. And, it's, and I think it's for that generation as well. So if Gen Z, if you're not aware, um, if you're born sort of between 1997, 2011, Gen Z is this, um, it's, it's basically anyone under 25, 26 now. And this outpouring and sweetness of the goodness of God is, is being sort of discovered by students in America, and it's sort of spreading across America. And then I came across Pete Gregg, uh, who's a 24-7 prayer leader in the UK and globally, And he did uh, an interview with some of these Asbury students who had experienced the sweetness of God. And he said, if it can happen in Asbury, in America, in this small little town in Kentucky, it can happen anywhere. And I think that's so true. If it can happen in Asbury, it can happen in Bristol. It happened at the Poplars this weekend. It can happen anywhere. So hold on to that sense of sweetness throughout this whole uh, series, guys, the sweetness of the goodness of God. So tonight distinct, distinct relationships. Essentially, we're thinking tonight about how we relate to one another, how we think about one another and how we speak about one another. So I'm thinking tonight about our thought life and our word life, how we use our thoughts and how we use our words. The um, the singer and the songwriter, um, famous guy, uh, Burt Bacharach died uh, last week he wrote many, many hits through the 60s and 70s and 80s. He was um, known for writing many, many hits. One of his most famous was this, and what the world needs now is love, sweet love. And all of us, he was so right in saying that, uh, because all of us in some way are looking for connection, looking for acceptance, looking for shared experiences with people. And this passage today in Romans 12 uh, talks about what it is to relate to one another and what it is to love each other well. What it is to think well of each other and what it is to speak well of each other. And if you know the book of Romans, maybe you don't, but um, uh, chapters 1 to 11 basically outline uh, the truth, the message of the gospel, the freedom from sins, the grace of God, uh, the message that Jesus came to bring and the person of Jesus. And then it gets this moment halfway through, uh, chapter 12, and it says this, therefore, and it's almost like you've heard all this stuff, now it's time to do something. And chapter 12 uh, is this moment where Paul says, I urge you, in view of everything that you've heard in chapters 1 to 11, in view of God's mercy, which I've just explained to you in massive, massive detail. And the best chapter of Romans is chapter 8. So go straight to chapter 8. If you've never read it, deep dive straight in there. Uh, so uh, I recommend that one. And Paul's language here is not just, oh, I suggest you think about this, or you might want to get round to it one day it's i urge you in view of god's mercy i urge you i don't just encourage you paul is redefining here what worship is he's not saying it's it's just a gathering of people singing songs like we do on a sunday here he's saying your whole life is worship your thoughts are worship your words are worship your actions are worship everything you do monday to saturday outside of this building, is worship to God. And in another one of his letters, Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Paul met with the person of Jesus in an amazing vision. You can read about it in Acts. And he encountered this person, Jesus, who was uh, radical, compassionate, uh, rebellious, uh, a healer, everything you can imagine um, that someone would amazing would be. Jesus was that person. Paul met the most incredible person, the person of Jesus, face to face. And he said, I want to imitate that person. I want to spend my life imitating him. And we, 2,000 years later, get the same privilege and joy of saying, I want to imitate Christ. I want to try and become like Jesus was because he was someone that the world had never seen. And I believe, I don't know about you, that we need to be distinct so that the world sees something different and sees something attractive in us. So tonight, I'm going to frame this whole issue of uh, being, having distinct relationships um, around our thoughts and our words. And before we get stuck into this, uh, having distinct relationships, I realized that um, this could get, you know, it could bring up some stuff within you. It could bring up some thoughts and some memories and some, uh, maybe some past experiences in you. Maybe you've been in a relationship where you've been hurt, whether that's in your family or with a friend or with a partner. Maybe you've um, had been in a toxic relationship that you couldn't get out of. Maybe if you're honest with yourself, you've caused some hurt to other people. Well, all of us are in this same boat. And before I say anything tonight, before we get thinking, um, I want you to know tonight that you are loved, you are forgiven, and you are free, and you can know healing You can know healing by the power of the Holy Spirit tonight. So I want to reassure you that if you're sat there thinking, oh, my life is in a bit of a mess, if I'm honest. I don't know where to begin with this idea of being distinct, let alone having distinct relationships. Matt, I I don't know what on earth to do. Know that we're all in the same boat. No one has got this 100% sorted. No one, not me, not anyone on the team. Uh, We're all in this together. So, whether we're um, single and content, whether we're single and looking, whether we're dating, whether we're married, whether we're engaged, get on the pre marriage course if you are, um, whatever, whether we've been married for three years or 30 years, whatever it may be, we are all um, in need of the transformation of our minds by the power of the Holy Spirit in order that we don't conform to the pattern of this world. And we need to say to God, and perhaps your prayer tonight is saying, God, I I need you in this. I need your help in this. I can't do this on my own. And together, as broken people, we can take heart in the fact that God demonstrated his love for us. And we're going to celebrate that later in communion. His forgiveness, his grace, his his opportunity to start again and to start afresh. There was a quote in the Lectio 365 app um, this week. It's the prayer app that 24-7 released. It said this, There is always more grace in God than sin in us. And that hit me. I was like, wow, yes, God, I want to know your grace again because your grace covers my sin. So, tonight, distinct relationships. I'm going to do some good news and some bad news. I'm going to start with some bad news. Um, I don't know whether you have that thing of, do you want the good news first or the bad news first? My kids often come running up to me and say, daddy, 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 good news. And they sort of tell me about, I don't know. Something that's happened at school, they got 10 out of 10 in a test or something. They never really run up to me and go, daddy, 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 bad news. <laughs> this doesn't, well, unless, well, no, they don't actually, they never do that. So we're going to start tonight with some, uh, with, with the bad news. But I want this um, not to feel heavy, but just, f- just a sense of, of like where we're going with this. Um, I've said already that we are all in the same boat. We are all broken. And in terms of relationships, uh, we see around in the world and maybe in our own lives broken relationships. We see elements of our sexuality that are broken. And it's the same in all levels of society, all classes, all institutions. Our thought life is broken. Our uh, sexual sin is rife in our culture. Adultery and divorce, online activity, the use and the viewing of porn, we see it in our culture today. We are not immune from this as Christians. And the church is as broken and as addicted as the world is. And I've got some stats here about relationships and about our sexual lives. And they don't make for grim, they they, they do make for grim reading. They don't make for pretty reading. Uh, It says this, between 40 and 50% of marriages, apparently in the UK, at the moment end in divorce. Which is just staggering and, and so painful. And then in terms of online activity... Uh, they did a, the Christians Today did a, a survey, and it said that 50% of Christian men would admit to looking at porn at least once a month. 42% would say, do you know what, I have an addiction with this. I can't break it myself. Women, too, are in this same situation. It says this same stat, uh, the same survey says that 33% of women would say, I look at porn at least once a month. And over the, f- over the last um, few years, we've been battling a global pandemic of covid But I think we continue to face a global epidemic uh, in terms of our online activity. And we as the church need to be distinct against this, fighting this, and and making a stand. And yesterday at the student weekend, we we sort of had a, a panel where we could ask any questions, and the students were asking all these questions. How do I resist temptation? How do I flee from this? How do I do this? And it was just the beginning of a conversation that I think we should just continue and have more, because we don't speak about this stuff enough in church the objectification of others, the exploitation of others for our pleasure is where our thought patterns have gone, and it leads us down uh, bad, bad um, avenues. But perhaps for you, um, sexual lust is not your vice. Perhaps for you, your thought life leads you into comparing yourself with others, and your thought patterns are all the negative towards yourself Maybe you're trapped in that sense of the comparison game. If only I was like this person. If only I had what this person had. If only I wasn't like I was. If only, if only, if only becomes your, um, your thought life. And we get trapped in um, paranoia, anxiety, panic attacks. We get uh, trapped in that, that thought world. Secondly then, our thoughts and then our words Our words have power. We get caught up, don't we, when uh, in in work, in uni, in groups, in gossip, in slander, in online trolling. And this is deeply, deeply damaging. I'm sure you've been around moments in friendship groups where people just start piling on uh, insult and slag, just slagging off people and just, um, it, it just becomes something that is easy to listen to and also easy to join in with. And I was doing some reading about gossip. And I heard this um, quote this week, which really, really struck me. It said this, gossip is a form of pornography. And I was like, what? Because it said this, gossip is verbally undressing someone else to expose their vulnerability, to expose them in in an intimate way, and to sort of gratify yourself by putting them down. I was like, that is good, but heavy. And I'm like, sat there thinking, I need to do something about my words. I need to do something about my thoughts. I need to have distinct words and distinct thoughts. We are all driven by unmet needs, and we are all driven by unfulfilled desires. And guys, where we take those needs and where we take those desires, that will transform your journey. If you take them to the wrong places, the wrong people we'll we'll, we'll be, we'll be hurt, we'll be broken. But the good news is, having done all that bad news, the good news is we can take them to Jesus. We can take our thoughts, we can take our words, we can take our relationships and have them transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. So the good news is there is hope. If you're feeling trapped tonight, if you're feeling like, yes, I know this is me and I need to do something about it, I want to do something about it, know tonight that there is hope. Know tonight that there is freedom. Know tonight that there is a better way, and it is God's way. And tonight, my prayer is that instead of feeling dwelling on the bad news, tonight we would dwell on the good news. That we would know a freedom and a joy and a sweetness in this. So, Paul says, be transfor- don't conform to the pattern of this world. Don't join in with what's going on. Don't follow the crowd. Don't conform, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How do we do this then? You might be thinking, tell me the answer, tell me the answer. Well, I I think there are two lies in the transformation of our mind that we need to get rid of. Two lies, and there are these two lies. The lie of independence. I think we need to get rid of the lie of independence, which says you are an independent human. You can do exactly what you want, when you want, uh, because you are you. You just do you. The lie of independence says that we're fine on our own. I can do anything I want. I'm my own person. I can do that. But... We believe we're created by God. We're created by a loving creator who knows us, who wants the best for us. And so we need to leave, live in dependence on him, saying, God, you made me. You know what's best for me. If you're an artist, you've painted a picture, or a photographer, you've taken a picture. When you create something as an artist, that, that thing that you created belongs to you. It's not independent of you. It's like, that's mine. I made it. I want to show it to the world. And it's the same with God. We are created by God, and he knows us. So we are to ask God, God, would you just get rid of that lie of independence that I think I'm okay on my own without anybody else? That's the first lie. The second lie is this, the lie of self-sufficiency. The lie that tells us that I am not only just independent, but I've got everything I need in me, everything, I've, everything I need in me to, to sort myself out. If I just try hard enough, if I just work hard enough, if I just... If I've got the willpower, I'll do it. But the fact is that God is the only self-sufficient being. God is the only one who is totally self-sufficient. We were created for dependence. We were created for dependence on him. To say, God, you made me. God, I am yours. And God, I need you. I want to depend on you. I can't do this on my own. None of us can do it on our own. We're created to be dependent on God. But also, we're created to be dependent on each other, in church, in relationships with one another. That's why, we've, that's why we run hubs. That's why we run groups. That's why we uh, meet together, to be a loving community together. So, when our minds are transformed, when we uh, pray to, to God to, to take those lies away from us, we can receive grace and forgiveness. The power of his Spirit chance to meet together, to say, I-, I can't do this on my own. Would you help me in this? And I'd love then to reframe our thoughts and our words, not in a negative way, but now thinking of what God wants us to do with distinct thoughts and distinct words. And it's this, in verse 3 of this chapter in Romans, it says this, do not think of yourself more highly than you, or, than you ought. And then in verse 10, honor one another above yourselves. Guys, let's not uh, go down that that lie of independence and that lie of self-sufficiency. Let's look to each other and lift one another up in our thoughts. So that's the first thing to do with thoughts. Elevate others above yourself. Think of others more highly than you ought. Jesus said the same thing in the in his um, great commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. In our brokenness, in our weakness, our thoughts will objectify others for our pleasure, whether that's visually, whether that's through gossip. But the transforming of our minds means that instead of looking them at them for our own pleasure, we will look at them as Jesus sees them. We will look at people as Jesus sees them made in the image of God and part of his plan for creation and salvation. And I used to work in London, and when I did that, I t- t- caught the tube to work. And I had this moment once. It's stuck with me ever since. and I can't often get it out of my head. It was this moment where I was in a packed tube, and maybe you've been there in London. You've been in a packed tube, and I was on the central line, and I was sort of listening to my music. And I was surrounded by these people. I suddenly had this moment where I was listening to some worship. I don't often do that, but when I did, I had this moment with God. And the only way I can describe it is that as I was surrounded by all these people packed into this tube, I suddenly felt a bit of a Holy Spirit moment and felt like God was showing me uh, these people as he sees them. I just suddenly had this moment. It's like, wow, you are made in the image of God. You're made in the image of God. You are loved by God. You, God knows you. God wants the best for you. And I had this moment where I just sort of was overwhelmed with love for people. It was really, really weird. And I al- <laughs> I almost, I almost shouted in a sort of Sort of slightly crazy way, God loves you all and wants to know how amazing you are. I didn't. I bottled it. But I did instead pray for my whole carriage I said, Lord, bless all these people because they're amazing and they're made in the image of God and you love them and you know them. But I think that when we go about our daily lives, we can just pray, God, show me people as you see them. Show me this person as you see them. I want to uh, lift this person up in my thoughts, not put them down. I want to see them as you see them, as a, lo- as a loved child of God. So that's the first thing, thoughts. Second thing, then, words. Let's be people who are distinct because we speak well of others. Let's speak well of others. In the book of James, there's a whole chapter about the tongue. It's pretty uh, meaty. It's pretty uh, straight to the point. It's, um, it says this, the tongue is capable of great evil, but also great Good. It says this, if um, the tongue can make grand speeches but can also set your life on fire. And what, that, what that means is it's quite intense. It basically means that you've got to control this muscle. I'm not going to hold it because I can't speak without it. Um, you've got to control that tongue within you. And our job as distinct Christians is to speak well, to use our words well. Paul says this, and if you look through the whole of verse 9 through 21, it's like a sort of manifesto for friendship. If you read that again in your own time, verse 9 to 21, go through this whole list of things. Do this, do this, don't do this, avoid this, do this. And it says this about um, speaking well of each other. Cling to what is good, verse 9. Be devoted to one another in love, verse 10. Bless those who persecute you, verse 14, perhaps one of the hardest, echoing Jesus' beatitude. Blessed are those, um, uh, yeah, I can't remember exactly, but verse 14, where it says, bless those who persecute you. Love your enemies. Speak well of your enemies, those who are nasty to you, those who slag you off, those who you know, um, yeah, speak ill of you. Speak well of them. Think of something good to say. Maybe it's even just, you know, you've got a great coat. I love your socks. You know, so start small if you need to, but speak well of those who persecute you. Verse 18 then, if it is possible, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with one another. Live at peace with everyone. So guys, let's be people that use our words in a distinct way to speak encouragement, not gossip, not slander, but building people up. Again, I have this friend, a um, friend called Nick. Nick is an amazing guy. He is perhaps the most encouraging person I've ever met whenever you spend time with nick you you leave feeling built up because he speaks nothing but encouragement nothing but affirmation nothing but thanks and gratitude for who you are and what you've done and when you've spent time with nick and i've spent quite a lot of time with nick i've played in different musical bands with him and he's always like matt what you did there was amazing matt when you did that thing it was just oh it's just so good matt it's great to see you it's so, i'm so glad you're around I'm so and i sort of Whenever I'm with Nick, I sort of leave sort of walking away like, ah, oh, I feel built up. I feel like encouraged because all of his words are encouraging and affirming. It's not sort of, you know, cheesy. It's like it's genuine because he's a genuine guy. He's speaking genuine words of encouragement to me. And whenever uh, there's people around uh, Nick, when we're in groups, there's always this sort of little phrase that says this. If, if someone looks like they're sort of having a great day and really smiling, it's like, have you been nicked? Not, not in like a you know, police way, but it's as in, have, you, have you just have you spent some time with Nick? I can see that you just spent some time with Nick because you've been built up. You've been encouraged. You've been affirmed. So I'd love us to be people who have been Andied, and you might have been Isaaced, or you might have been Eleanored, or you might be whoever. I, I want us to be known as people who are encouragers with our words. Could you be the next Nick and use your words to encourage others? Finally, then, this whole issue and this area of holiness, holiness is a process. It's something that we know we need to get on with and something that takes time. It takes years and years and years. The Bible says we are being transformed daily into his likeness. It's not like a zap, you're done, brilliant, you're holy, get on with life. It's, it's a day-by-day, week-by-week, year-by-year process. It takes time. It's what Alex was saying. Um, that God is still faithful even when we don't see it, even when we don't feel it, God is still working and moving. And I had this moment this week, I'm going to finish with this, where I was writing this talk. And I was thinking, oh gosh, this is quite heavy. I feel like, you know, I've been given this talk and I'm thinking about relationships, I'm thinking about all the sexual lust, and I was like, ah, oh, where do I start? Sat down at my, to- at my desk and trying to write this, and I thought, I know what I need to do. I need to make a cup of coffee. I need to procrastinate. I'm going to put it off. I'm just going to close my laptop, go and boil a kettle in the kitchen and uh, make a coffee and then come back to it. So I did. And I just thought, right, have a coffee. It'd be way better after I've had a coffee. Anyway, I got into the kitchen, put the kettle on. And then I looked at our oven. <laughs> and I thought, that window of the, of the door of the oven is really dirty. And I had one of those moments that you do with your student, perhaps your student, and you've done this. So that I need to tidy my whole bedroom before I do anything important. And I just <laughs> forgot about the kettle for a bit and I thought, I'm going to unscrew the oven door <laughs> and I'm going to take the glass out and I'm going to, because that the oven door of our oven, if you've been to our house, it hasn't been touched probably for the whole of lockdown, really. It hasn't been cleaned to our shame, mine and nay's shame. And uh, every time I look at it, I think, oh, I should one day, one day in the future, I should clean that. One day I should do something about it because it's, it's just filthy. Needs, something needs to be done about it. Anyway, I unscrewed this glass of the oven door, and I thought, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tackle it. So I then used the boiling water of, of the kettle, and I thought, I'm going to get my scrub, mascara, and the washing up liquid, and, and start scrubbing, and nothing really happened for a while, and then suddenly, as I was scrubbing, a little chink of transparent glass came through, I was like, ah, yes, starting, and the more I scrubbed, and the more I used the hot water and the soap, the more I scrubbed, it just suddenly, like, quick, it suddenly quickly just got more and more clear. And it became easier and easier and easier. And suddenly, within about 10 minutes, I was like, "Ah, oh, this is it. I've got a clean oven door. And, and I, the reason I tell you that is because I sat down at my desk. and I said, God, I don't know where to start with this talk. And I e- emailed or I texted actually some of my friends who are my prayer partners. I said, I'm doing this talk, and I don't know where to start. I need divine inspiration. I need that moment of like, God, show me something. Tell me something. And I suddenly, as I was at this sink, at the sink cleaning my filthy oven glass door, Suddenly I have this moment of like, do you know what? The hardest moment in this whole, whole holiness series is the first moment where you have to say, I'm going to do something about this. I've been putting off that oven door for a long, long time, and it's got more and more dirty, more and more filthy. And suddenly I thought, I'm going to do something about it right now. All I'm going to do is just maybe start scrubbing and see what happens. And as I started, as I just said, I'm going to do something about this, I felt like God was saying, the hardest Moment is the first moment where you say, I'm going to start. I'm going to make a stand and say, I'm going to do something about this. I'm going to live a life that is distinct because I want to be transformed by the renewing of the mind to offer my body as a living sacrifice. And so um, in that moment, I was at my sink. I was like, God, that is so true. Often the hardest moment is the first moment. And once you started, things get better. They get easier. As you start speaking to people, say, Do you know what? I'd love to meet with you as, as maybe one on one, maybe in a prayer triplet, maybe uh, growing in community. Then we share our lives. We say, Do you know what? I'd love to just check in once a week, once a fortnight, once a month, just to see how we're doing. And you can challenge me and I'll challenge you. And we can build up that trust and we can build up that relationship in, in, in a deep way to call out the best in each other, to speak encouragement of each other, to challenge each other about how we think and what we think about and what we look at. and. And do it, not in an intense way, but do it in a life-giving, sweet way that frees us and where we see the joy of life in all its fullness. Amen? Amen. So why don't we stand? We're going to respond. We're going to respond. And in a moment, we're going to celebrate communion together. But I'd love us just in this moment just to uh, have some time before God individually in prayer. And it might be that as I've spoken tonight, you've said, oh, yes, that oven door, that picture, that thing I know I should have dealt with years and years and years ago, and I never have. This is a moment to say, tonight is the night. I can make a stand. I can say, I want to do something about this. The hardest step is often the first step. So whatever it is that you know tonight that you need to bring before God, and we'll all have something. We're all in this together, as we said. No one is free from any of this. This is a process, and the process can continue tonight, or it can start tonight. So whatever it is in your life, whether it's a thought pattern, whether it's a recurring habit, whether it's words that you know you say to people too often, whatever it is in your thought life, whatever it is in your word life. Just bring it to God. Bring it to God tonight. Because I believe tonight you can know freedom. You can know the transforming of your mind. Because he loves you. Because he's forgiven you because he's poured out his spirit so that we don't have to do it on our own, but we do it in the power of the spirit. So Jesus, tonight, we offer you ourselves again. We offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. And Lord, our desire is that they would be holy and pleasing to you. And Father, tonight we pray for our minds, that you would transform them. That we wouldn't conform any longer to the pattern of this world. That tonight we would make a stand. and Say, Lord, I don't want to live that way anymore. I want to live your way. I want to be distinct in my thoughts and in my words. God, free us from the lie of independence, and make us dependent on you, God. Free us of the lie of self-sufficiency, because you are enough, and you have everything that we need, God. just as you offer that to God. Right now, why don't you just say, God, I receive your forgiveness and I want to live in freedom tonight. I receive your forgiveness and tonight I put a stake in the ground. I draw a line in the sand and say, God, I want to live dependent on you. Beginning this process. So maybe tonight is that beginning of that oven cleaning process for you saying I'm just going to make a start I'm going to start and say God I want to be distinct I don't want to conform anymore so Jesus we thank you thank you for your love for us thank you for what you're doing amongst us and we pray it would continue Jesus' name.